Hey everybody, this is Mark. Welcome back to another episode of this Poor Pastors Podcast. What you doing here? Don't you have practice? Not anymore, I quit. Oh. Well, since when are you the quitting kind? I want to do something big and something important. I'm not like you. I'm nothing. Just let me be nothing. Yeah, we've heard all that before. This is Mark. Welcome to another episode of This Poor Pastor's Podcast, an unannounced episode on Friday. I might do this more often. I'm feeling pretty good because it's Friday. We're heading into the weekend, which as a pastor means we're heading into one of the two days a week that I work for a living. So that's awesome. I'm glad you could join me. We're going to talk about a subject today that is near and dear to my heart, and I hope you are going to stick around. Let's get into it. You know, I have often had a conversation with my wife in which we have tried to figure out where I would go to church if I wasn't a pastor. I will fully uh, confess to you that um, when I go on vacation and I sit and I listen to um, much preaching, I think to myself, there is no way I could become a member of this church and sit here. Now, Be honest, as a pastor, we are critical oftentimes of other pastors. In the same way that one doctor critiques another doctor, one lawyer critiques another lawyer, um, one dentist critiques another dentist, or what have you. But it is true that it is really difficult, uh, especially in the uh, circles that I have grown up with, increasingly difficult to find men who stand in the Word of God and preach in a way that feeds my soul, challenges me as a Christian, and doesn't leave me scratching my head saying, where in the world did they come up with what they just said? Um, Now, I do not doubt that someone has sat in my church and done the same thing to me. Right? So Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, don't be too upset if you hear somebody, I'm paraphrasing, so this is not the King James, don't be upset if you hear somebody criticizing you or talking about you because you know you've talked about other people. So I fully acknowledge that I am aware that whenever you set yourself up uh, to critique someone else, someone else will critique you. The challenge for an in, for a person of integrity or someone who wants to be honest is not to give in to the what's called the "you too" fallacy. So when you when someone points out an area that we need to work on, it is tempting for us to turn that argument back on the individual and say, "Well, you have problems too," and because you have problems too, you are then unable to uh, talk about my problems. And the Bible does deal with this as well. That that if we have a log hanging out of our eye, we shouldn't be overly concerned about the little speck in someone else's eye. So then first we deal with our own issues and then we try to help other people with their issues. So I know it's complicated and I know every time you set out to try to deal with something like this, you open yourself up to people um, criticizing you in return. Have at it, you're welcome to do so. I do not believe that I am the greatest uh, and that's not a humble brag. I recognize, I know my limitations. I have a congregation of people who are able to tell me also about my limitations. And uh, oftentimes on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening after church, I think, man, did I blow that 
royally. But I hope it is our desire as pastors to conduct ourselves in the pulpits and the preaching of the Word of God in a way that feeds people, challenges people, and draws them back to hear um, to hear scripture. I just want to, I just had this thought on my head. So I was like, I'm just going to get on there today and I'm going to record an episode. And normally I have a lot of notes typed out. I just have a brief outline and I'm just going to shoot from the hip and see how it goes. And um, maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't. But if you don't like it, you can turn it off. That's just how it goes. But I ask you to just at least listen and see if what uh, there isn't some truth to what I'm saying. Um, now there's a couple of uh, verses uh, in Scripture, specifically Paul's letter to the Corinthians, both in the first letter and the second letter, that I think are worth mentioning. In 1 Corinthians 2.4, Paul said, "...and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power." So our preaching definitely ought to be in demonstration of the, of the, of the Spirit of God and of the power of that Spirit. Then in 2 Corinthians 4.2, Paul said, But I have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul said, You can be the judge. We're commending ourselves to you in the sight of God. But I want you to know that when we stand to handle the word of God, we are not using craftiness. We are not handling the word deceitfully, uh, trying to accomplish our own ends or twist it to meet our own uh, interpretations or our own philosophies. We're just trying to give to you what the word of God says and then let things fall where they, where they may. Considering the great damage that has been done to the cause of Christ, and much of it from our pulpits, I think it's really important that those who stand and speak to God's people from God's Word do so with integrity. And I have some areas that I think we can, we can work on that. Integrity in the pulpit. So I got a, um, a text message this morning from a pastor and uh, he's very political, he's pro-Trump, he's not for all the things that are happening in our nation with the lockdowns and the mandates and all of, and all of that. And I, I agree with very much of what he said, with what he believes, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm conservative both biblically and, uh, and politically. So it's not that I disagree with the man's position, but he sent me a text with Galatians where Paul said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage, and uh, so on and so forth. And he used that verse because it contained the word liberty in it, then this is God's marching orders for us to stand for our constitutional rights, uh, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I just want to say one thing to that. Now, the if that wasn't clear enough, let me explain what I mean. I mean, come on. That is not at all what Paul was using uh, Galatians, I think it's Galatians 6.2, to discuss. Not at all. And when we just cherry-pick that kind of stuff, that is the kind of thing that, that to me is a lack of integrity in the handling of God's Word and using God's Word to somehow support a, uh, an American idea of independence and liberty. Again, Please don't mistake me. Every time I say that, someone does. But please don't mistake me. I do believe that our nation was founded on principles of liberty and that the principles of individual liberty can be found in Scripture. All right? But that's different than saying this verse over here that uses the word liberty is, uh, is, is, is therefore a proof text for my political position because it's not. 
okay? Now, maybe there's an application. I don't think so, but if there is, uh, have at it, but it's, it's just part and parcel with much of what happens, especially in our independent fundamental Baptist churches, right? This um, finding a, a verse, as, uh, as I think B.R. Lakin used to say, you know, you read the text, and after reading the text, you know, you get on your horse, you tip your hat, and you ride away, and you never come back to it again, and you're off for an hour to preach about all kinds of things. I've heard so many examples of this, and by the way, full transparency, in the early years of my ministry, because that was how I was taught, I also, I also performed this exact same kind of thing. So I am not guiltless in it. Right? I think sometimes that's a problem with our, with our current society and especially the, the millennials and, and so on and so forth. Either they've never had time to do anything themselves, so it's easy to criticize, or those who have done and made mistakes in the past think that by condemning those who are making those mistakes today, not at the same time acknowledging that, look, I've done the same thing, that somehow that erases what they've done. No, I acknowledge that I also perpetrated what I think was a misuse of God's word in this way because that's how I was taught and trained. But thank God, over time, I think we should learn better. It's frustrating when we don't learn better, though, isn't it? It's frustrating when I see a man who has been in the ministry for 40 years and he's still preaching the same way that he was when he was 16 years of age and he hasn't grown and he hasn't changed, right? So I've sat in, in, in sermons and in conference sermons and I've heard, uh, for example, I once sat and heard a, uh, a well-known evangelist who became a pastor and still travels uh, full-time in evangelism. Strange as that is. Anyway, that's a topic for another day. Um, he he preached on the on the uh, out of uh, Paul's letter to to Timothy uh, and said that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth that thou mightest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the church of God. Uh, it's the pillar and ground of the truth. Then he proceeded to announce his topic: four pillars that every Christian should uphold and. It had nothing to do whatsoever with Paul's use of the word pillars, but he needed the use of the word pillars to, to put a mental picture in people's mind to then preach whatever uh, philosophy and principle he had in mind. And that is an abuse of Scripture. It happens all too often. All too often. Novel and cute uh, little twistings of Scripture to, uh, to um, support or just give us a springboard uh, from which we can make a political or Christianese rant is not what God has called pastors to do. Not at all. And when we know this, brothers, right? We do. But we do it far too often. Now, let me give you the... Uh, I, have six, uh, I have six areas that I think are important for us to focus on when it comes to pul uh, pulpit integrity. I'm going to give these to you. I think we'll be able to rush through them pretty quickly. Hang in there with me. And if you disagree or you're upset with something that I say or you, or you agree and you, you want to just talk about it some more, send me an email, thispoorpastor at gmail.com, thispoorpastor at gmail.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Okay, I think I'd love to hear from you. If you hate my guts... Um, don't send me an email. Yeah, I have a sensitive constitution, so be nice. Okay, first area that I think we need, that we struggle and, and in a pulpit integrity is this, a departure from the Word of God. And I've already been talking about that a little bit. This is where we use the Bible as a place to find 
uh, a topic that we want to rant about, and then we never come back to God's word at all, not at all. Uh, so, for example, uh, some people call this uh, proof texting. Now, I know that word may be used in different contexts, but where I, I, I have this idea in my head, so I go searching in Scripture for a verse that uses that phrase or mentions that, uh, that subject matter, and I, and I just put together a bunch of verses like that, or I find one verse, and if I can find one verse, then I'm off and running, and everything is, uh, is wonderful. Proof texting is dangerous. It can get us into a lot of trouble with Without context, a proof text without context is just a pretext. You've heard that before. And, and so uh, sometimes we're not even proof texting. We're just plain old pretexting. And I don't even know if that's a word, um, but we're just pretexting. I mean, our, 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 our scriptures are so far removed from their context that the only reason that nobody calls us on it is because we have generated a, a culture in which the man of God can never be questioned or the only people that we can attract to our churches are the down and outs and the less than intelligent, and that's all I'm going to say about that, um, who will listen to us rant, and they don't have their Bibles or have any Bible knowledge anyway to know whether what we're saying is, is right or wrong. We're just little demi, demagogues, and, uh, and we can get away with it. Um, uh, so another way that we depart, that we can sometimes depart from the the Word of God is by simply being a storyteller. Now, I love to use stories when I preach. I believe stories are powerful tools. The Lord Jesus Christ used stories. Paul used stories. I'm not opposed to using stories. I think there's a biblical case for using stories in preaching. So long as our stories don't become the main point of the preaching um, and then incidentally supported by a few scriptures here and there. Stories can often be used to elicit um, an emotional response, but it, it, they should not be the primary. This is what I think Paul was talking about when he said that our preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The Word of God, through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, is supposed to bring the result and the influence in the person's life, not our cute little stories. And so when we stand to preach the Word of God, we need to be faithful to the Word of God recognizing that we're all growing, we all make mistakes from time to time, and so I think that uh, we need to uh, recognize that. Um, a sidebar to this is I want to acknowledge the, the, very real, uh, the very real problem of so many of our independent fundamental churches having a system in which the man of God, whether that is the pastor or the visiting evangelist, who, set, who are set up as such an authority on God's Word that no matter what they say, they can never be challenged because they are the man of God, and therefore you're wrong and they're right. Now, a very popular evangelist in the Independent Baptist movement um, has uh, made popular um, uh, several examples of this, such as the use of, out of, I think it's Jeremiah chapter 6, uh, on, uh, on the prophet saying that he, you know, he'd go to the great men because they've known the way of the Lord, and even though the text is very clear that those men also had been unfaithful, he uses that because it has the word great men as a pretext uh, to promote a philosophy of man worship and following the great men of the past. 
past. Now, I have no problem with following the great men of the past. We're told in the Bible that those who've gone before us and been faithful to the Lord, we're to follow their faith. Whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. So there's nothing wrong with that, and I think you can make a case for following someone as they follow Christ, but it's not okay to twist a scripture that doesn't mean that to try to say what I think scripture also clearly teaches. It's unnecessary, right? But no one is allowed to ever confront this person without them just doubling down on it. Um, I've heard uh, another evangelist uh, preach a sermon all throughout the uh, all, all throughout the years on uh, on quitting, and he uses the passage "Quit you like men and be strong," and uh, and he says you know things that Christians ought to quit. You know, men ought to quit things, but that's asinine. That is not at all what the use of that word quit means. And so this departure from the word of God, that either we are, either men who do this and who do this consistently year after year after year, uh, it's either because they've never put themselves in a position where they can be challenged biblically, uh, or it's because of ignorance, they, they've never taken time to learn the Word of God and to study it, or it's arrogance and dishonesty. And in any case, it's all bad, right? We need to have integrity in the pulpit and preach the Word of God with integrity, recognizing that we may make mistakes from time to time, and it is important that we're open to being corrected on those things by the appropriate people in our lives, whether that is members of our church who say, Pastor, I'm not sure you really uh, got that right, and be willing to talk about it. You might be right, and they might be wrong, but talk about it. And if you have made an error, be willing to say so uh, and, and, and correct it. Right? We're not infallible. Right? I thought that's what being a Baptist was all about. Right? We're not infallible. We're not Catholics. We're not the Pope. We don't speak ex cathedra. We are infallible, uh, or we are infallible. We are not infallible, which means we are fallible, which means we can fall, which means we can fail, and sometimes we don't have all the, uh, all the uh, expertise that we think we do. But it's very dangerous to be in a position where we're given this kind of respect that we're never questioned. And so because we know we're never going to be questioned, it doesn't cause us to be faithful and diligent in our study. All right, number two. Another area that I think we need to uh, work on integrity in the pulpit is with straw manning or just plain blustering, all right? This is where we come across as more confident than we actually have a right to be, right? We hold to positions that are not clearly defined in Scripture, and there are many things that are not clearly defined in Scripture that I think you can have a position on, but to operate with integrity means we recognize that I this is where I land on this, but uh, I'm not I'm not 100% sure that I'm correct. And by the way, I don't have to be 100% sure I'm correct in order to believe that I know something. But I hold things in a high probability space or a low probability space. I want to be dogmatic about the areas that the Bible is dogmatic. I want to be humble and open about the areas that are uh, up for interpretation and that other good, godly Christian people have interpreted in different ways. But um, when we refuse to acknowledge the arguments by brothers who disagree with us, then I think that that is a lack of integrity. When we pretend like our interpretation is the only interpretation and everyone else is wrong, 
Now, you take the King James-only position in our movement uh, that I grew up in, and we, uh, in many cases, because it's an echo chamber in these conferences and in these churches, anybody who uses the version other than the King James Bible is demonized. Um, we, use, we use words like perversion instead of version. Isn't that cute? Ah, those perversions of Scripture, because we know that elicits an emotional response. It shames those who aren't of our position, and, uh, and, and, it, and it casts them all out as, some, as somehow... Um, not worthy of the of the title of brother or needing to be the recipients of the love that we're supposed to have towards Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, and we don't acknowledge that there are reasons that good godly people have for using, using other versions. Again, I'm not even saying that the King James only position is necessarily wrong. I'm only saying that we straw man their positions, we uh, caricature their positions to make ourselves look stronger than we may be, and then that is just a, you know, it's just blustering, and it's not, it's, it's a lack of integrity. Um, to say that, that, again, I've said before, there is a short step between believing you're the only one right and believing that you're the only one saved. And so whenever I see someone that is not even willing to say, you know what, I believe this strongly, but I recognize that other good, godly, Christ-honoring, God-loving people hold to a different point of view, and I give them grace for that. I'm not going to mock them. I'm not going to ridicule them. Uh, and so... Um, I think it's important to do that. There are so many, uh, so many instances. I'm not going to get into all the illustrations of it. You can probably come up with some of your own. But be careful in our pulpits that we're not presenting a stronger case and being more confident that we have a right to be than we have studied to be, or that we're not strawmanning our opponents, um, or recognizing that somebody of an opposing position is not necessarily an opponent. They just land somewhere differently than perhaps we do. So we need to have integrity to recognize that the body of Christ is bigger than our little circle. Third area of integrity is when we make ourselves the heroes of all of our stories. I'm sure some names are going to come to your mind. We make ourselves the hero of all of our stories. When you are telling a story that cannot be verified, it is vital to use integrity. I think if you're telling a story that cannot be verified and using it as um, the uh, underlying basis for requesting a, um, a, 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 um, a response from the people you're talking to, I think integrity dictates that you not use that story. So, you know, someone dies... And if someone's dead, you can't seek them out to find to verify the story. And then I stand up at um, okay. For example, let's say that uh, that um, the boss at the at the at the business dies, and at the uh, at the funeral, I stand up and I tell all the other employees that are at that that are at the funeral that just before the boss died, he talked to me and he told me there was no one else there, but he told me that he wanted me to run the company, and uh, so you know I think that we need to honor his uh, honor his position. The truth of the matter is, integrity would dictate that if the only information that I have is that. I don't think with integrity I can tell that story because it cannot be verified. I think we need to be careful, especially in this age when, look, the people sitting in the pew can fact-check you, fact you in real time. All right, we need to make sure that we're, that we're being honest and, and using integrity in our storytelling. But then also, 
Um, we want to make sure that uh, we are not the, the hero of all of our stories. I mean, come on. Pastor, you know yourself. There's no way that you win every argument or that you have the knockdown. Half the time, I don't even think of the knockdown responses uh, after I've had an argument with somebody until later on that night when I'm in the shower and then I'm like, oh man, that would have been awesome if I had said that. Nobody wins every argument. But when we are the hero of, if you, if you listen to a man and he is the hero of all of his stories, he's smarter, stronger, faster, um, bigger than anyone he comes in contact with, I think there's a reason to question his integrity. Don't be the hero of all your stories. In fact, why don't you share your weaknesses and failures more than your supposed knockout one-liners, right? We share our weaknesses and I think that there's, the Apostle Paul did this, he shared his weaknesses, he shared his, uh, his areas where he struggled. I think it's actually more powerful to share with our people areas that we have failed and then God has helped us to learn from that than it is to always appear as if we get it right all the time. I don't think that helps our people. In fact, I know that it doesn't. And integrity dictates if I'm going to tell a story in which it worked out okay for me, then um, then I also need to share stories of times when I fail, right? I think that's important. All right, uh, so number four, ooh, I gotta hurry with this one, pulpit prostitution. Ah, what do I mean by pulpit prostitution? I mean selling your pulpit to a political party or a candidate. I don't care whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Christ is the head of the church, and I may support a political candidate and um, support them um, because of a conservative value or whatever the case is, but my church belongs solely and totally to the Lord Jesus Christ. No political party or candidate has a right to co-opt my church. None. And I'm, I, I do think that sometimes we have sacrificed the integrity of our gospel message by aligning ourselves too closely with a party or a candidate rather than biblical principle. And I know this is true because, again, in our circles, there are men. I'll give you a perfect example. There were men who were um, promoting the president standing in front of a church holding up a non-King James Bible. These were King James-only men holding up a King James Bible, and they were promoting that and thanking God for it. And at the same time, they wouldn't spit on a man who pastors across town who uses the same version of the Bible. And the only and, and they'll criticize him and they'll preach against that. They'll call those things perversions. And then they'll thank God for a president who will hold the word of God up as something he trusts in. It's a lack of integrity. It's prostituting your pulpit. Tell me I'm wrong. I do thank God for any political candidate who will align themselves with biblical principle. I do but I don't belong to any party, I don't belong to any candidate. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am dead and my life is hid with Christ in God. That is what we are supposed to be. We preach truth, we preach principle, we preach the word of God, we let the chips fall where they may. If the Republicans get it wrong, our preaching should expose that. If the Democrats get it wrong, our preaching should expose that. Period, end of sentence. I, don't, I do not think it is right for pastors to prostitute their pulpits for political purposes. That doesn't mean that I don't think a pastor can't stand up and promote um, uh, the right to life and to speak against abortion. 
Absolutely, do so. Support those candidates and those, and those nominees who will endorse and support um, biblical principles. But that does not mean that we will not call those same people out for their biblical inaccuracy, that we need to be willing to stay at, excuse me, like uh, John the Baptist did and say, it is not lawful, it is against God's law for you to have your brother Philip's wife. True, that's what truth to power is. And I think pastors, in some cases, we have forgotten that. We need to get back to it and have integrity in our pulpits to say, you don't own me. Even if my politics align with yours, you don't own me. This pulpit belongs to the Lord, and it is His alone. Only His word will be preached from this pulpit. That's just my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. I think another area we need to work on this is uh, uh, using the pulpit to air our grievances or attack our enemies. It's cheap shots. When you use the pulpit and a, and a, and a uh, um, captive audience to air your grievances or attack your enemies, I think we're missing an opportunity to feed the flock of God. Now, Paul told Timothy, preach the word of God, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. So there are times when rebukes are necessary, but come on, there's a lot of angry ranting going on in a lot of our conservative fundamental pulpits, and uh, I think people are going... I, when I went to Bible college, we, we knew that Sunday night, it was always about who's going to get their face ripped, who's he preaching about this time, who's he going after this time? You know, and the man might have said, you know, I, I only, I address principle, not personalities, but that was a cute way of hiding behind it because you never wanted to address, you never wanted to name the person's name, so you attack them without naming their name. It's just as much of a lack of integrity. Preach principle, use integrity, keep ourselves under control, and if a, if a situation needs to be addressed, address it, because this is number six. Uh, this is number six, because i got to end here, but... The idea of uh, avoid uh, we we lack integrity in the pulpits when we hide from difficult topics. Sometimes this is what happens with a lot of topical preaching. We just have our little candy stick sermons, and we preach the same ones over and over and over again, and we avoid the passages of Scripture that are difficult for us uh, or that deal with difficult topics because we don't want to do that because we're afraid or because we're afraid we'll get fired or we're afraid that people won't like it or we're afraid that we're going to acknowledge our own ignorance of a, of a topic of Scripture. So we, we, we pick the high points, we take the easy Scriptures, we twist the ones we don't know, but we avoid the huge topics. Now, when we preach through the Word of God, we need to do so with integrity. Let the Word of God speak to the topics as they come along. Don't avoid them, but I do, I, do, I do not believe we have the right to use our pulpit to air our grievances or attack our enemies. For one thing, the people that come and sit and listen to us each week are not our enemies. They are the people of God, and sometimes we have to reprove them. Sometimes we rebuke them from as the Scripture exposes those areas. Uh, and we exhort them, but we do so with long-suffering, we do so with doctrine. The man of God must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, able to teach, and patient. Guys, I just, it was, oh, it's just a burden on my heart, and I, I just wanted to make this uh, episode today to say, let's, let's have integrity in our, in our pulpit. And I, I, I want to make sure that I have the same in my own pulpit, and that's why we try to have it set up in our church where anyone from the deacons to the person sitting in the pew has a right to come and ask me about what I preached. 
Sometimes we have discussions where we entertain uh, other ideas and we try to, I try to bring people to understand why I land on this doctrine or topic in this way, but there are some other good people who hold to a different position, and here's why they hold to that position. Here's why maybe I think it's wrong, but, uh, but I want to have integrity. I want to recognize that standing in the pulpit is a privilege. It's a place of immense influence. And it's a place of tremendous responsibility. Let's use it as God intended. Well, happy Friday. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you guys have an awesome Sunday. And by awesome Sunday, I just mean a chance to minister to God's people, to feed them with the Word of God, and to love them as Christ uh, loved us. And no matter how many people come to hear you, no matter if you're preaching to a camera because you're fully remote or you have people sitting in, but it's not as many people as you wish, whatever your situation is, my prayer is that you would be faithful this week, that we would be faithful this week to preach the Word of God to His people as He has commanded us to do. God bless you guys. I hope you have a great week. Again, reach out and talk to me, thispoorpastor at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll talk to you soon. Have a great weekend.